0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse.
1: Today on Tap, we have Throne of Blood, starring Tashira Mufuni, Isuzu Yamada, and Takeshi Shimura. Based on Macbeth by William Shakespeare, screenplay by Shinobu Hishimoto, Ryuzu Kishimura, Akira Kurosawa, and Hideo Oguni, and directed by Akira Kurosawa. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films as we continue on on this western train. This time we're going east and going to a genre that's fairly influential both ways, right? Yeah. Uh, on the western genre. Uh, and that's the samurai film. and. Who better to talk about uh, with the Samurai film than the master, arguably called one of the best filmmakers of all time, Mr. Akira Kurosawa. This Mm -hmm. is going to be a lot of fun Mm -hmm. to talk about him, the style of film, the Samurai film, and William Shakespeare. (laughs) Interesting combination there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be a lot of fun. So, To commemorate this uh, event, uh, we did our Godzilla cast, so we've done a few uh, Japanese-oriented films, but decided to... Let's let's try some Japanese whiskey this time. This is a first for us, so decided to go with the fairly standard uh, Japanese whiskey label. This is Suntory whiskey. This is their Toki label. This is a blend of uh, two of their uh, uh, high up whiskeys. But for forty dollars, I mean, this is a pretty good you know starter for if you want to get into the Japanese side of whiskey. There you go. Here's so, you. what do you think of that? What do you think of that color too? I mean, this is definitely almost straw, translucent, more straw-like. straw like straw. Like yellow, Mm -hmm. Um, so that reminds me a lot of like the Irish whiskies, uh, like scotches, yeah, and even just the smell too, very fruity apple, yep, a lot of apple actually, yep, it's very pleasant too. I mean, It's nice light. Some of the Irish ones were could be fairly harsh, but yeah, almost it's not quite sake though. Mm -mm. You you like sake? No, no,
0: it's a little rough. You're no, this is nice. This is um, this is sitting out on the patio on a summer's eve, kind of drinking too, feel like there you go. It's not, that, you really hit it on the hit nail on the head with that apple. Yeah, apple, really, apple really, pie. Yeah, I don't
1: know. why. I'm, I'm smelling a lot of barbecue in in the bourbons. It's just I'm just like in this like cooking mode right now. So I can't wait to do this. So this introduction prelude into our flight question. So I know we're you know we're in the westerns and we're gonna spend all our time and energy with that for the next three weeks, but we're building up to something pretty huge in three weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's Dr. Strange into the multiverse of madness. So there's a conference that happens around this time of the year, the end of April, it's called CinemaCon, and it's a con for theater uh, owners. And it's to see what movies do we want to show at the theaters and kind of give them a taste. How heavily do they want to promote the films in their theaters uh, I know Top Gun's going to be heavily uh, part of that, but everyone was wondering, are we going to get to see strange at this thing? So uh, there was an email that went out to the cinema con patrons uh, or attendees that Dr. Strange will not be premiering at CinemaCon. that the first uh, glimpses of this will be May 2nd at its world premiere, I think in LA mm-hmm. um, and then rumblings between, you know, just, things on the internet and, and the email and these cinema goers that what was told to them was the reason is that Dr. Strange into the multiverse of madness contains more secrets and surprises than infinity war end game and Spider-Man far from home combined. Do we buy that? I buy it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So my question to you is what do you think of that? And are we on the precipice for a film event the likes of which we've never seen before
0: hidden inside this Doctor Strange film. Well, we've been waiting, you and I have been forecasting it for some time, where's yeah. it going, where it's going, and I think we have some some hints whether it's Julie Louis Dreyfus or whether it's um, Baron Zemo or Kang. yeah, kan- yeah, sorry, Baron Zemo <coughs> King. Um well, Baron Zemo too, I think. He should, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Flag Smashers. Mm-hmm. Haha. Mm-hmm. That's crazy that they would tease that out. Um, maybe we get a snapshot into the new Avengers team, we certainly are going to get an X-Men reveal. And I think more than the X-Men reveal, we're going to get that Illuminati reveal, which would include Reed Richards and Namor. And I think in um, the X-Men, Xavier, of course, that's important because they need to expand their universe into those untapped territories. Now, the X-Men are not untapped. Sure. And certainly the Fantastic Four, but they haven't been tapped into this version this of This iteration, yeah. Um, um,
1: I, think I, I think I buy it. I mean, those three films that I rattled off, we know how tight-lipped they were pre-seeing them in the theater. Not a lot of spoilers really coming out, whether it's the snap or, you know, the time heist or the Spider-Man. I mean, we kind of knew the Spider-Man were coming back, but we didn't know how. Mm-hmm. I buy it. I mean, that I think that, that they have an act for keeping it. Feige knows how to kind of keep a secret and keep it until it needs to come out. So my second part for that uh, to you, and then we'll get to the flight question. All the characters, the rumors, the cameos, the rumblings that could possibly happen in there. Give me one that's not Patrick Stewart, because we kind of know that's in there, right? Give me someone that you know is absolutely for a fact going to be in Doctor Strange 2. And then we'll come back to and we'll see how right we were when we see the movie. <laughs> the Black Knight. Okay.
0: This is Jon Snow, right? Mm-hmm. I think that makes perfect sense and i think that it allows an expansion of the avengers otherworldly as well Mm -hmm. um i'm gonna go with that nice let's see a little bit of growth there what do you got
1: well i your illuminati thing that's happening that's what that looks like is going to be pretty cool and if it doesn't happen the way it'll probably be a little bit disappointing but I think we're going to get Magneto in this thing. And whether it's Michael Fassbender, which I would hope for because I love him, uh, or it's a newly casted Magneto for this MCU universe. But I think it's going to be a, like a late reveal late in the film where he's going to finally reveal himself to be Wanda's true father. I hope so. That she, he's She's kept him tucked away all these years, right? Let's hope. That'd be cool. But that's, I think, you know, all the cameos and all the the fun fan moments that that film can possibly have. The thing I'm most looking forward to is watching Wanda just go break full bad in that thing. Yeah. It's going to
0: be fun. I'm really curious to see if the Agatha Harkness ties to mm. Mephisto start to playing out mm, as interesting, the larger, bigger bad. Yeah. That would be different. Yeah. I know this isn't the Dr. Strange podcast, but I saw that
1: and I, I wanted to call you, but I was like, let's just do it on the show and we can mm-hmm. talk about it. But I was excited for Batman and that was what it was. Listen to that episode. I think Doctor Strange is my number one most anticipated thing the rest of the year. I'm just so looking forward to that.
0: If Iron Man was the linchpin to Avengers beginning up through Endgame, Mm -hmm. are you rather shocked that it seems Doctor Strange... Is the linchpin going forward? Why not? I mean, it's crazy to me. Just think about the legacy of Doctor Strange and like how unreadable he's been for so many years. But they've
1: done such a good job establishing him in these films. They have, and it's the casting too. I mean, he he plays it so good.
0: Yeah, he's great at it. So nice.
1: I wanted to start with that. So let's dive into our uh, regularly scheduled programming with our flight question, and then we'll get into our breakdown of Throne of Blood. Alrighty, so uh, dabbling now into the uh, the samurai uh, films, uh, a subgenre all its own uh, that, you know, Akira Kurosawa, you know, he's made so many of these just legendary films in this in this genre. And those films influenced a lot of what was going to be taking place in the Western. So whether it's Seven Samurai to Magnificent Seven or Yojimbo to uh, Fistful of Dollars. Uh, you can kind of see the translation to the Western audiences, so to speak. But let's flip it on its head again. Tons of legendary Westerns throughout film history. What Western film do you think would make for a good samurai film,
0: samurai translation? There were so many choices here, weren't there? Mm-hmm. So many. It's hard not to immediately default to a team sort of setting. Mm-hmm. Because um, obviously, you start thinking about the Magnificent Seven. Sure. So that's already been done. I purposely tried to stay away from that kind of team up, big groups, yeah. and left it to more along the lines of a man against. And I think the one that I'm going to go with is a Burt Lancaster Western known as Olzana's Raid. Mm. The reason I want to choose that is it's wickedly violent. And the motives in that character from your protagonist, and I'll use that word lightly. I think might play really well in the samurai genre because honor is such an important part of that. So if that's stripped away, what kind of protagonist does that leave you with? And as we've spoken quite a bit already with the Western and last week, what keeps the bad guy from being, I'm sorry, the good guy from becoming the bad guy is there's a certain line of honor that they won't cross. The bad guy will shoot you in the back. The good guy might shoot you too, but at least he'll face you down when he does it. Exactly. So you take that and apply what sort of is, I think, a pretty violent film in Ozana's Raid. Mm-hmm. And I think you could have a really interesting look into the samurai culture that sort of spins the traditional beliefs in true samurai lore yeah. upside down. Nice Have you seen Alexander's
1: raid? I haven't. No, it sounds great. You might want to watch that sometime. Okay, yeah. What do you think? Uh, you think Once Upon a Time in the West? Yes, you think we, that that we, that could translate for well. We, 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 that was what that was we, we,
0: where it first went. Another one, but I didn't want really to do that two weeks in a row.
1: Yeah, good choice. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, I kind of tried to stay away from teams, and then I kind of geared myself towards like partnerships mm-hmm. and like you know duos yeah. in in the West. How cool would this be translated to a samurai film? I'm going to go with 310 to Yuma. Mm-hmm. Uh, the transport of a criminal across a dangerous terrain, but then you have to rely on the criminal's know-how, right? Yep. And it probably wouldn't be to get him on a train. It'd probably be to get him on like a boat to send him to some prison, right? Yeah. Uh, but the partnership that those guys uh, could uh, have together. Mm-hmm. I kind of want Akira Kurosawa to make
0: that movie. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I love that film.
1: Yeah, I love both versions. Yeah. Uh, maybe the remake a little bit more, actually, with yeah. Bale and uh, Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone to choose. I well, a bunch I thought, but I tried to stay away from that. Uh, Unforgiven, I thought maybe could have been an interesting mm-hmm. also samurai film. Uh, maybe not Heaven's Gate.
0: Uh, <laughs> Unforgiven has a Ronin feel to it, like the lost does. Ronin without a master, sort of um, mm-hmm. drift. Uh, I thought about after you had mentioned the question we were talking. I thought about that one a little bit too. I just think. It you know, it speaks to this Western four-ways cast that you came up with. If mm-hmm. anybody was sort of saying, well, I don't really see the samurai film as a traditional Western. Yeah, you're right. It's not traditional. Mm-hmm. But if you think about the Western genre and all of the films in there, I think you're kind of hard pressed to find one that doesn't play yeah. as a samurai film. Yeah. There's there some, sure, there's some. But um, because they're essentially the same film. Yeah. Same stylistically different, obviously, but have the same general kind of beliefs with protag tag relationships. Yeah, the roles, yeah, yeah that that we're, that we're going about. Well, and the feudal estate of Japanese lore mm-hmm. and the samurai culture isn't that much different than the West. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: the structure, the wilderness. I mean, yeah. the environment itself. We talked a lot about last week, the West being a character mm-hmm. into of itself. And I feel a lot about this this film in particular as well, the forest, uh, the surroundings, the castles, for uh, uh, fortresses, and how we build up these these walls to to protect ourselves. It's very solitary, much like the West, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: well, let's jump right in. I can't wait to, to have this discussion. Uh, I can't it's William Shakespeare? Oh, I got some hot takes on Mr. William Shakespeare as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's dive right into our view breakdown of Throne of Blood.
0: So, do
1: so throne of blood uh this is uh kurosawa's adaptation of william shakespeare's one of his more famous plays uh macbeth uh not to tease out our uh nightcap question but i kind of just you know did a deep dive into all of shakespeare's ad- adaptations and macbeth and hamlet have so many adaptations i mean just recently uh the Coen brothers with Denzel and Francis McDormand had that tragedy of Macbeth. And then like five years ago, there was that
0: other Macbeth with Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. It's funny you brought that up. Yeah. Um, we'll get into this with that, but I was really inspired by this film mm-hmm. to watch that one. Cause I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. That's not good. Yeah, It's a bit slow. <laughs> that is a very literal translation of Macbeth in a weird foreshadowing, pre-shadowing, contemporary dream. I made it about 25 minutes and went, I'm, I'm
1: out. It's a bit rough. As, as
0: much as I like those two. Yeah, yeah they should be good, right? I, I
1: had the same thing and, and it might be the setting. I, I think I prefer my Shakespeare when it's reinterpreted a little bit differently than the source. Yes. With, much like this film. Yep. So we're taking that idea. So Kurosawa was a huge fan of that play and always wanted to make an adaptation of it. Um, and then, you know, this is post-7 Samurai and a lot of the, those those big fairs he made in the, the mid to early 50s. And setting it in feudal Japan with Samurai Guard and fortress, fortresses. I mean, this castle, I love its name. It's uh, Spiderweb's Castle. And how the spider fits into that. Uh, there's like practically a Madame Webb later in this film, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just let's. I want to talk about the setting first. They they built that castle on the footsteps of Mount Fuji. Mm-hmm. How, how did they do that? Awesome. It looks great. It's you can see the craft that went into making this look like a fortress. What do you think that lends just to the authenticity of trying to repurpose this specific time? And I think it's one of Kurosawa's strengths. Whether it's Samurai, Rashomon, later with Ran or Yojimbo, the Hidden Fortress. Star Wars, <laughs> yes, yeah, Star Wars, right. It looks like feudal Japan.
0: It sure does. Yeah,
1: what does that what does that do for you?
0: Well, I think for a man that wants to uh, sort of celebrate all things samurai culture, then part of that has to be the aesthetic and how the audience perceives it, right? Mm-hmm. It also gives maybe not an initial release, but later on the American movie going audience and the rest of the rest of the worldwide global um, movie going audience, a chance to really see an unfamiliar world. Mm-hmm. A lot of that's familiar to the Japanese movie goer because they've grown up with it. And it's a part of their, 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 lore, their, history. their yeah. history. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But for you and I, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I see castles or when I think of castles, I tend to think of English castles, mm-hmm. maybe German but that's, that's brick, mm-hmm. stone. Brick and mortar. Yeah. Right? This is much different. Wood. Right. Yeah. And the grass, is whether it's pampas or papyrus mm-hmm. or whatever, bamboo, mm-hmm. has almost a wave-like quality to it, the way the wind blows across. So you get, I, I almost wish, Jesse. Yeah. I know Ran is. But I almost wish this film was in color. Oh, yeah. It's fine that it's not. It doesn't mm-hmm. take anything away from the viewing. But- Feudal Japan, even down to the armor Mm -hmm. that they wear, is lush and vibrant. And um, you can feel that in the screen. Mm -hmm. You can feel the weight. You can um, feel the environment. You can almost smell how that area would be if you were there. Yeah, he slays it, man.
1: Slays it. I, yeah, totally respect... uh, Anytime you're willing to commit to build an actual set in a hostile environment, right. it's like on the footsteps of an actual mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the labor and the time that goes into that is just going to lend to that authenticity. Yeah, I never thought about you know having it being color, but especially particularly that moment at the at the end of the film where the forest is moving, Burnham Wood moves on Dunsany. That would look cool, right? Yep. Um, but it's just the atmosphere. It's I don't want to say horror-like, but the use of fog in this thing. I mean, there's just like this veil layer of just like fog just on the ground all the time, and that with the dirt, with the wood backdrops, and the costuming. This this looks like what they wore. I mean, the, from the 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 knee uh, armor to the chest plates to the banners that they wear strapped to their body, the look is just perfecto Mm -hmm. it's and he's but he's the guy right i mean this is his fifth or sixth movie doing this type of film before and he knows what he's doing can i tell you i want to talk a little bit about kurosawa's style throughout uh the podcast but one thing i i just recently found out about and let me know what you think this would be like so i rattled off about four screenwriters right when i said screenplay by which normally sounds like a disaster So he had a bullpen of about five writers that he worked with on Rashomon and Seven Samurai and Hidden Fortress and all these films through the 50s and 60s. And the way they did it is they had one of them was kind of like the referee, the judge that would kind of keep them all in line. And Kurosawa and these four other gentlemen would go and they would write the same scenes simultaneously and they would go with the best version. And what it kind of did was it kept them all honest. It kind of kept the, the and they went with the best product. From a collaborative standpoint, what do you think? I mean, because when we write, you know, you take a scene, I take a scene, and we kind of create our own, you know, cohesive story. But we, we're in control, and we know where it's going, right? What do you think of that? And you write something, and maybe yours doesn't get picked, but maybe it helps incite your writing for the next scenes, right?
0: I guess two things happen. Number one is you see how committed to the craft people are. And then secondarily, how committed to the overall project and quality they are. Mm-hmm. If you're six, seven scenes in and you feel like you've written seven winners and not a single one has been picked yet, I guess one or two things happen. You either give up or you try harder. I don't think you give up. Otherwise you probably are unemployed, but I could see there being some pretty robust and healthy debates in the room on who chose what and the process of like the adjudication or scene selection. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean, you and I are, are super close and we had a couple battles over what this scene should, it's just part of the process.
1: A couple battle where you just, it's like, how do you just describe it? It's feet in the mud, unwillingness to budge, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to the point where you're just like, I'm budging because I'm tired of talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I remember that, but. I think this is interesting, and I think it could actually bring up things for yourself that you might not have thought of. Sure. Kurosawa might not have thought of that idea and this guy, and it just helps inform the writing a lot better. It's almost like rewriting and writing the screenplay at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool, and I I had never heard of that. That sounds like a disaster, but as close as these guys were, and they did this for
0: 10-plus films. I wonder if it ever turned—I'm sure it did, where they said, okay, we like— selection B mm-hmm. but this one part of D is really good how can we get that into there so then do those two guys yeah do those two guys team up and rewrite it together or like there's I for as arduous as that might be and I think that's a really slow writing process sure yeah sure. that's taking months then once you've decided this is this the selection of the five we're going to go with I think you have a chance to really elevate that concept with the other four ideas that are around it mm-hmm speaks to maybe why the films and his films are so well so well written just well crafted i mean mm-hmm. and it's
1: we we okay we talked about setting costuming writing um let's get into the story a little bit here so we have lord uh suzuki i really like the the opening of this you know in his feudal estate the king of the land king of the castle and everyone's really worried right mm-hmm. everyone's really stressed out about all the invading factions and true to the original macbeth excuse me people could just in the countryside just start their own army, right? Yeah. You could just, if you had enough followers and believers, you could just start your own faction, and with enough power and foresight, like you could go overtake the throne. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of stressful, right? Sure. <laughs> just waiting for, like, invasion all the time. Yeah. So Suzuki is, like, super stressed out, and all these guys are coming. They're like, they took Fort 1, they took Fort 2. Like, what are we going to do? Like, it's the end of times. And then they catch word that these two guys – uh it's our it's Ban- our it's Banquo our, and Ma- Banquo and Macbeth. <laughs> yeah exactly Generals uh, Mickey and Washuzu mm-hmm. uh, have uh, had some success here uh, keeping them at bay and so yeah this is gonna be our titular Macbeth Toshiro Mafuni. Um, and in a very Shakespearean fashion, right we're hearing about it not seeing it. Um, but I kind of like that. I kind of I mean the story's gonna become its own organism. I don't think we need to see those scenes. I think maybe the, uh, the Fassbender probably chooses to show everything to pad a runtime, right? Mm-hmm. But it leaves a lot up to the imagination of how virtuous these warriors really are, that these two guys and their armies, right, their uh, houses were able to
0: defeat these, these uh, invaders. So here's my question for you. Okay. Budget aside, for a samurai film, I think in a samurai film there are certain caveats you expect to see and one of them would be army versus army battling sure that does show up later in this film although it's more arrows on the ledge kind of a thing mm-hmm. I don't disagree with you mm-hmm. I think leaving it up to the imagination and again maybe the amount of money that went into building the castle didn't leave as much for fisticuffs from samurai faction versus samurai faction mm-hmm. And again, not a knock on the film, but are you sure you don't want to see a little bit of Mickey and I can never remember the um Macbeth. what Washizu Washizu? Wash you yeah. sure you don't want to see a little bit of that? I, I mean, th- if it doesn't need to be fast bender in that yeah. one. I mean, if it if it's there, I'm probably loving it. I don't know how. Yeah, maybe maybe not. It, the movie doesn't suffer because of it. I just found myself thinking through this viewing. It's first time for me. Mm-hmm. This is shockingly devoid of action, and yeah, Macbeth it, kind of is anyway. Yeah. But there are a couple places where I think you can highlight that if you want to. That's funny. That's
1: I'm glad you brought that up because it does become more of like a character piece. Yeah, by Macbeth, right? Right. <laughs> but you know, a movie I was thinking about a lot watching this, and mm. if you can draw any kind of parallels to, again, just the characters that Break Bad. I was thinking a lot about The Godfather in this thing, and really Corleone and Washizu, and once you're in deep with your decisions how far deeper are you willing to go to keep it all afloat? Yeah. Both of them, man, just nosedive, right? Yep. And I think that's why I like it. I, I mean, I like these characters that, you know, with their intentions, they do want more for their prestige and are just ruthless in their willingness to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Shira Mufuni, very much, I mean, another parallel that I kind of made watching this was, I think Akira Kurosawa and John Ford share a lot of similarities no question. in their filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, their style, uh, the way they shoot action. Uh, But then in their casting, Mifune's the John Wayne to Kurosawa, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, He discovered him early on post-World War II in a film called Drunken Angel. He was kind of a nobody. No one knew him. And he turned him into Japan's biggest movie star. And he was with him all until, I think Redbeard's their last film together. These guys had a big falling out Mm. um, creatively. And, you know, creative differences aside. Wow. Um, but what do you think of him here? I mean, Mufuni to me is a remarkable actor because, and it's all in his face, right? Yeah. Whether it's anger, sadness, fear, this guy does something with his eyebrows and his mm-hmm. nose and his mouth and you, you get it like, and that's, you can't teach that talent. It's talent. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a presence. Uh, Here in this one, and we'll talk a little bit more as his arc, you know, divulges into madness and then revenge and murder and all the crazy things. But my favorite part of Macbeth is the witches, right? Sure. (laughs) Because it's it's the horror, right? Uh, And we we get that. We don't get three of them. We get one of them. We get this spinster witch in the middle of this forest. And we, we already are told that the forest is treacherous. Uh, not to follow the the trails you, you get lost if you if you follow them so it has a labyrinth like quality to it already mm-hmm. but here in the middle of this these two guys post battle are trying to get back home to reap their rewards or get some praise for their actions and they come across this old witch as that audio clip i played kind of creepy right i mean it's just and she's just singing there uh, th- these proverbs and then what she tells them is this prophecy. What do you kind of think of how the the, the stage is set here? Very again, I said Madam Web, but she's spinning like a, a spiderweb thing, like a twine. We all know what the Black Widow is, and like just metaphorically. But what what do you think of how this uh, is set compared to like Macbeth, or just in the story
0: in general? Yeah, the, I didn't know if there was going to be three. One's fine. One can give the prophecy the, as easily as three can. Mm-hmm. I thought the way she's blanched so stark mm. would have really looked good, again, with the it, color yep. element. That would have looked cool against that green, dark backdrop. I think it looks pretty ghastly it on does. its own, yeah. yeah. No, it does start to, uh, compared to the Fastbender version, the witches in that are just people. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do Macbeth, I think you do have an opportunity to really play in the horror element. And this movie, aptly handled by Kurosawa, does that really, really well. Yeah. Um the chanting, the little song, the sort of sycophantic yet trappish stylings that she leads Mickey and um <coughs> Washuzu, Washuzu yeah. down this path of their own demise. Uh was really well done. And I will say this yeah. as much as I like that scene too in Macbeth. Mm-hmm it does get to be a little bit tedious, like hurry up and give them the prophecy and then get on with it. This mm-hmm. is handled with, I think the perfect amount of screen time. Yeah. I might even argue they're lost in the labyrinth of the forest before they come upon her cave slash hut mm-hmm. for longer than the meeting with the actual witches. The witches yeah. Again, that goes back to, I think <clears throat> what, Kurosawa wanted to do and that's I really want to use if the West is character Mm -hmm. it is in this film too and I want to highlight what this area looks like they are lost just going in circles and circles and circles and some of those shots the POV that's sort of ground level up at them Mm -hmm. and the angle that they get where there's no trees in the way or when they are it's done really really well it's different
1: than kind of what Hollywood
0: was doing at the time which is a static
1: camera in the corner
0: like and a, a panning here and there this it's always in motion i loved the bit this is way ahead but to that same sort of non-static movement i love it when washizu goes back into the forest to find her again mm-hmm. and she appears on that ridge above him and yeah. she's running as fast as his horse is going mm-hmm. man that was creepy yeah um yeah, yeah. i i i was wildly entertained with this. Yeah, I think
1: that this is a pretty good moment and it sets the scene for, for the rest of the story, but very I think I'm thinking of just this spider web's lair and she's this the spider that trapped two flies, right? Cuz when she gives the prophecy and then she disappears, there's all these bones and skeletal remains behind her. The, the what's left of her feeding, so to speak. Yeah. Uh I really dig on that, but what the prophecy is Well, Shuzu, you are going to inherit Lord Spiderweb's castle, uh, and you, you good sir, uh, Miki, Miki. uh, you will uh, get Fort Number 2, but your heirs and your descendants will be uh, heirs to the throne long after you.
0: So this is the Thane of Glamis, Thane of Cawdor, King of Northumberland sort of progression that we get in Macbeth. Mm -hmm. But instead of Thane, it's, leader of tower a B and C mm-hmm. she does mention briefly that he will rise to he being washuzu rise to the kingship yeah but both of these men and this well, first is first he's gonna get he's gonna get castle one yeah and then the other one's gonna get castle two but you will get this castle eventually eventually you're gonna get it yeah he's right over the target for the penultimate sin that Shakespeare wrote in Macbeth which is how far are you willing to go with ambition will, absolutely right yeah and and yeah pride right yep and then the second thing that he likes to do which is put a bunch of wicked women in his story oh yeah is <laughs> <laughs> the whether it's the witch or whether it's his wife lady Macbeth. yep yeah. um We'll get to her, too. I think this is good. I mean, if you
1: and I roll up to this witch the, and she tells us this prophecy, I mean, you and I are probably like, oh, that sounds pretty great. Who <laughs> wouldn't <laughs> be? Yeah, that sounds good on paper until you see
0: the ramifications of what it's going to do to you. What's great about Washuzu is he thinks that's going to happen through honorable means. Like, he's going to take this path to the kingship through honor and diligence and um, serving his 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 fiefdom, his kingship with this great honor and respect. And little does he know that his wife's about to spin that on its head, the same way Lady Macbeth does to Macbeth after McDonald's defeated at the beginning of the film and they come Mm -hmm. into their um, prophecy. But Washuzu, even through this, although interested in what this prophecy might be, and I think they're intrigued, but there's a little bit of, yeah, that was just some lunatic we met in the forest. I'm not sure I totally believe that. Yeah, As we, you and I would probably... Okay, that's cool. Yeah, give me the winning lottery numbers, too. Haha, mm-hmm. ha, let's go buy it, right? And then we hit the lottery, and now things change. Well, it's not until they're with uh, Suzuki, and he gives them exactly what she
1: told them. Exactly. The okay. minute they arrive yeah. for uh, Tower 1, Tower 2, uh, and they're just, like, in shock, so... The one thing that this film doesn't really do is it kind of shows like the progression of time because there's, I think, some decent chunks of time in between uh, these moments or the act breaks in Macbeth's uh, story. But yeah, once once he gets that prophecy, we cut back to his new estate, uh, section one, mm-hmm. and yeah, he's told his wife that at some point in between those scenes the prophecy, right? And she just takes it and runs with it. And this lady Macbeth, uh, I want to get I want to get the actress's uh, name right. Uh, Suzu Yamada, more ghastly than the witch. Uh, so stoic. Uh, the eyebrows are like on her forehead, practically white. Mm-hmm. Shocking. Uh, and stoic. and monotone. One oh, one. and I think that's creepier than anything. Yeah. It just there's no emotion to pin on this woman. And if you know about Lady Macbeth, I mean, she's like the thorn in the side to like, I I think maybe Macbeth Washuzu would probably be pretty happy with what he's got right here, right? Mm -hmm. But when the prophecy says you will attain more and the ambition to get more, and then when you find out that uh, Suzuki's hunting nearby and he's going to stop off for dinner there, that there's an opportunity to bump
0: up the prophecy a little sooner than later, right? Right. Right. He thinks it's just going to happen in due time. She can't wait. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, a movie I started remembering at this point, and it's not even a movie that I really care for, but Mystic River a bit. Okay. The Marsha Gay Harden to Mm. Sean Penn. You're the mayor up in here. Like, I I think the movie for a lot of things is wildly overrated. Mm -hmm. But what's not is the way that she ends up being this conduit to push her man to do these terrible things.
1: Well, that's the cask into of itself of, you know, wives or women that, you know, drive their
0: husbands to do awful things. Well, and let's be honest about this. Did you watch Deep Water? No. On Hulu? No. It's kind of the same thing. I want to see it. Yeah. But now we're playing in a space that you and I really like, Mm -hmm. because this is out of genre, Mm -hmm. femme fatale noir, to that woman that makes things happen wickedly. What I love about the Macbeth character, I'm sorry, Lady Macbeth character, or... or, um, Aji uh, Washuzu mm-hmm. is this as yet unrevealed issue with childbearing. Mm. One of the best parts of Macbeth. Okay, so your favorite part is the witches. That's my second favorite part. You know what my favorite part is? Yeah. Is the unsex me speech, unsex me here speech that mm-hmm. Lady Macbeth has. It's yeah. so powerful yeah. that this woman is so wicked, she would give up that which is by primal nature what makes her tick, right? Yeah. I, it is one of the best descents into villainy that's ever been done in film, yeah. ever, yeah. or fiction. Yeah, That's not in this. She doesn't do that. But it's it's alluded to later in the film that she's almost so rotten that her womb is rotten. Yeah. And we're going to get this big moment with the, and, with the, the stillborn And child. that's not
1: in... Macbeth,
0: the play. As no, far the as- the fastbinder one starts off with the miscarriage at the beginning from Lady Macbeth, but yeah, that that was a, a new wrinkle. Yeah, her uh, the the turn in the
1: in the play. I mean, she just kind of goes really mad and kind of starts losing her mind the more deep out, out damn
0: spot that
1: whole bit. Yeah, I think the stillborn aspect is something creepy, pretty creepy. And then,
0: cause they get into this conversation about errors and whatnot. And I thought that was fairly interesting too, but I think the question that's always been posed for me in Macbeth, Oregon. And this is who is willing to be more wicked through vile ambition. Is it lady Macbeth or Macbeth? Yeah. Because what I would argue is it's her and it's kind of not close to me mm-hmm. because not only is she the one that plans all of it out, But she's the one that takes the other rival, wicked, ambitious antagonist and is able to manipulate him as well. Mm -hmm. What's weird about it, though, and again, it's way ahead of the film noir femme fatale role. That's usually done through sexuality and noir. And this, it's done through almost a brooding playground bully mentality. That's not short of like, if you had any balls, you would do this. But... It's a little bit of that insofar as can't you see how the chips are gonna fall here? A is gonna lead to B, B is gonna lead to C. Um, Mickey is not just gonna stop. He's gonna go for the same thing you are. And matter of fact, he's probably on his way to come in come and do us in right now. Don't you wanna stop that? Aren't you man enough to defend what should rightfully be yours?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh my gosh, Jesse.
1: But that that fits the samurai code quite a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. the samurai to the cowboy, the sheriff. Mm is even more, I think, virtuous than the cowboy and the sheriff just because of this code of honor, right? Yeah. Something about the samurai is they have their values. They don't step outside of them. Maybe that's why Seven Samurai, and particularly Mufuni's samurai in that is, he's the antithesis of that, right? You have all the other ones that are warriors, and they have an ethical code, and he's like the belligerent drunk that has no code, but he's a great fighter, right? Yeah. And we need him. Uh there's something just very admirable about that and haven't had the pleasure to play that game on PlayStation Ghost of Toshima, but Ooh. I can see why that that, it. that is just going to it's just so much fun is the code of ethics.
0: Yeah.
1: So now you have a a samurai, a shogun warrior That here. game's awesome by the way. Is it? Yeah, yeah, I I can imagine. Uh that is willing to shred his code of ethics for importance and nobility. We're, we're cooking with fire here now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this, this is good. And and it just, it's the setting. It's that. Uh, and yeah, and just how we're able to adapt the play
0: and add some fresh twists and spins in it. So King Duncan is going to make a journey after a hunt mm-hmm. by the castle that I say King Duncan. I forgot what the, I'm getting Suzuki. There you yeah. go. Suzuki after a hunt, same way it's done in Macbeth is going to make a pit stop at, the closest castle, which happens to be with It takes all of two seconds Mm -hmm. for his wife to concoct the plan to hurry this legacy to the throne up or hurry this ascension to the throne up. I guess the legacy is probably not the right word because the legacy is going to be Mickey's children. Yeah. (laughs) You keep waiting for someone to pull back on the reins and just say, wait a minute you want to murder the emperor, Mm -hmm. but no one does. And then in this really kind of cockamamie haphazard rapid plan, it's let's get these guys drunk. You can go stab the emperor, and then we'll put the bloody weapons on their hands, much the same way it's done in Macbeth. Yeah, we'll scream, intruder, intruder.
1: Murder, murder. They wake up, and then I'm like, you killed them, and then they kill that guy, so he can't say anything about it, right? Right. It's just planting the evidence, so we have witnesses, and then we get them out of the way, because they're the only people that could say, no, we're drugged, (laughs) and then, then you got it, Right. But oh, the, the the plan just it that part. I mean, it goes it goes pretty by the books as haphazardly as it's put together on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ramifications after that. So, like, do you like that it's done with that spear? Yeah, because in the play, it's a, it's the dagger, right? It's yeah. you got the bloody dagger, and that's what they plant on them. Of course, it would be like this large piercing implement here.
0: <laughs> I love that she hands it to him, and then when he comes back around the corner post deed, yeah, again not in color, but you can see there is blood dripping from the spear. If there's all these... Here we go. This is just
1: <laughs> right proper, right? It's just, we always do this. Uh-huh. This inability to conceive and <laughs> this lack of intimacy between these two. Yeah. You got this phallus, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's just it's yeah. this long spear and this is what's going to promote legacy. One, if you think about not to take this that level, I but know, I'm going I to. <laughs> but no. if it's
0: bloody... Then there's a virginal piece that they're talking and playing around with too, and mm-hmm. I'm going to say that whether it was Shakespeare or Kurosawa with his five writers, including himself, so four and himself, these are masters of story, and that's yeah. not an accident. Yeah,
1: yeah, it isn't. No, you and I should write a book, and we'll call it "Everything's a Phallus, and we'll just talk <laughs> about these talk about these moments in film because, like, when, when you see them, it's just like, yeah, kind of That's like kind of what's going on in the story, at least. If you have a good character arc and it's been written that way,
0: it just comes across
1: that way. Yeah. The only thing Missy is Jimmy Stewart playing this character, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but the advisors here... Uh, well, you got the- this
0: cast off my leg.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's too hard to get it off. Yeah, you have these... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, the the uh, the Macduff and uh, the Malcolm counterparts, the advisors are like... They're, they're keen to what just happened, right? Yeah. So they're back to the castle going... He killed him. There's a plot. We, we we don't let him in here. Let us in. And they, they get shot with arrows and have to run to the countryside because Mickey is the steward of this castle while the Lord is away. Right, And so when Washuzu shows up, he's like, oh, my old friend. I know you wouldn't do that. Like, whatever. They're talking crazy. But if what you... And, the wife says, bring the body, show them the evidence. That way they know that you're not just speaking gibberish. So they come with the casket, right? This mm-hmm. thing, and they the king's dead. It happened at our place. He was murdered in the middle of the night. In a very Mafia Oso fashion, he goes, I know I'm here this steward right now, but I could never run this castle. But I could see you doing it. So he hands it to to him to uh our Macbeth our washuzu mm-hmm. uh, and a, a very friendly like a uh, thing but very I don't want to take the reins of the family business because it's a lot of responsibility but I could see you doing it because you're a far better warrior and uh a
0: samurai than I ever could be it's a big moment right well you brought it yeah because he knows moment. the prophecy too right mm-hmm. you brought up something earlier that uh, I just like to do really quick and you drew the ties to the Godfather Yeah. Okay, the reason that there's so many similarities between the Godfather and this film would be the feudal basis for which both those are constructed on. So if we go to the mafia world, then the emperor is the dawn, the tower or neighborhood leaders known as the capo regimes, and then the foot soldiers or the samurais. They are the same structure. Feudal Japan is based on the feudal ties of Western Europe in, you know, post Renaissance, mm-hmm. high middle ages, that that period in through there. Um, if you want to move up in either of those scenarios the only way you do that is by acquiring more turf because what comes yeah. along with the turf is in the mafia world the street corner to where you can sell your liquor and your women and your drugs and your gambling and the armies that protect it yeah. that's not quite the same in samurai such so it's not right to say it, but because <laughs> the, the resources don't play quite as heavily in that as they do in the mafia world. But this turf thing, absolutely. Huge. Yeah, land. You have three castles. Now, the thing that ends up happening, you have to be careful with, is if you get too stretched out and you don't have the army to support it, then you're vulnerable. And that's sort of what we see at the very beginning of this film, mm-hmm. that um, washuzu's is able to stave off defeat because he's such a brave warrior. To bring the corpse of the dawn or the emperor Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to the opening or the mouth of someone else's turf and essentially use that as the key is nothing more than power. Now, his wife uses it as strategy, but that's straight power play. Yeah, a bargaining chip. Huge. And what are you going to do? Are you going to be the neighborhood daimyo Mm -hmm. or capo that says, don't come in here with that? Of course you want to be the one where... Your turf is used as the place where the dawn or the emperor is celebrated and their life is honored. So it's a brilliant move and the ties between brilliant move strategically in this film, but the ties between the feudal estate of Samurai, Japan, and um, traditional feudal ties in Western Europe that moved their way into the United States, and that's why we had all those turf wars early because they were immigrants from that that belief, that growth system. That caste system, that noble system—it's a a brilliant approach to bring those two things together like that. But again, back to what you said earlier, the fact that it's done through Macbeth, yeah, is just so wickedly creative. Yeah, are you if you're if you're Mickey, yeah, and the casket shows up at the mouth to your fortress with a rife army and your good buddy. Do you raise an eyebrow? A <clears throat> little bit. You have to, don't you? Yeah. I mean, if nothing more than like what happened. Yeah. Give me the deeds on how this went down. Yeah. Got the perfect alibi. Oh, this guy killed him. What did we do with him? Was he in jail? No, I killed that guy because he, he dishonored our kingdom by killing the emperor. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> it's a pretty, it's, it's pretty smart out because there's nobody that's going to say anything against it because his wife's not going to say anything because that's both their necks if she does. I always wondered, too, if Mickey and that
1: character, uh, if he's playing the long game, too. If he's just like willing to let it play out because he knows it won't be me, but it'll be my son's and their
0: legacy leading this thing. So why not? Why not? Uh, I'd say so because I don't think we see him engage in the speed of debauchery that Washuzu does. Mm-hmm. Is it has to be the long game because eventually this is what's coming.
1: I I took notice of because you know how they're wearing like they have their armor and then they have like their banners on like a pole behind them. Yeah, Shuzu has a centipede on the back of his mm. uh, banner, so I was like, "What's the meaning of that?" Oh, wow. uh, so the centipede is just a harbinger of death in Japanese lore and storytelling. Mm. So. I thought that was fascinating that, you know, just, just a detail like that. Unless like, you know, unless you know the history, you're not going to really know what that symbol means and presents itself as it arises. Cause that's like, it's like almost like his family crest, right? Is a centipede on this banner. He wears it anytime he's out.
0: Think about all the noble animals you could use. Yeah. An eagle. Yep. A lion. I think, uh, and he uses a, a bug, yeah. a disgusting bug. Yeah. And I think Mickey's
1: is like a rabbit. Uh, hmm. but I, I did, I did a dive into what, did, what does the centipede mean and, Japanese society and it's like it's like death it's like
0: good catch man (laughs) yeah
1: it's like not like a good thing so but he's not a good thing he's a harbinger of all these awful things that keep happening yeah so we get to the moment too then right so we now have this kingdom oh look at what we have now here this is better than fortress one (laughs) we got to give this to someone when we die because we could die at any time it's a dangerous world we live in we don't have an heir because you can't bear child and we've had those difficulties prior. Um, I thought this was crazy because you know in the mafia or in you know English royalty, you pass on to, you know, firstborn male, right? Mm-hmm. Uh here you could just pass on your heir to whoever you want to. <laughs> Uh, but I like that there's at least enough of a camaraderie between him and Mickey where he's like, I'm going to offer it to his firstborn son because at least it's going to go somewhere and it stays within this collective family yeah. that we've kind of made here for ourselves. And then what does she say? I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I got to kill my best friend and his son because I can't let that get in the way here. I can't let the prophecy get in the way. This, But this
0: is a twist, right? This isn't in the play. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this Additive. Uh, Adds more fuel to her fire. Mm -hmm. Even when he's trying to hang on to the last shred of decency and nobility that he has with Shuzu.
1: I'm glad you said that because whether it's Mufuni's performance, but I always feel like up until the end when he's just completely lost his mind, that he's grappling with, I can't do this next bad thing. I can't. I'm still... He's, he's really struggling with it, and it's so easy for his wife. be like, just do it. And he's acting crazy. Mm-hmm. But Mafuni's like, I'm really, especially when he sees us ghost here at the dinner. Oh, man. He's really troubled by what keeps
0: happening around him. Yeah, and she just keeps pushing it, keeps pushing it, and keeps pushing it. What decision do you have now? You're going to tell Banquo, I'm going to take that back. That legacy actually is going to stay within my family you're probably going to start some sort of a battle regardless. Mm -hmm. So she paints him into a corner. Um, The fact that he's so willing to give the legacy of the throne to Banquo's or Miki's children speaks to, I think the difficulties that are subtextually, but brilliantly done in their issues with conceiving. Mm -hmm. Now, if we take those five writers and that process that you brought up, that's, the good that you get out of that kind of creativity, Mm -hmm. that many minds together, that little twist elevates what's a strong, strong concept to such a higher level. If you're going to look at this as a character piece, which it is, Mm -hmm. you don't need that probably in an action flick, which this could have been, but because it's it's in there, we elevate the conflict to, much, much higher level. Oh, and it's actually e- so wicked.
1: And it's easier and more covert to off somebody sure. than start a war, right? Right. Which is what it would lead to unless you just take care of it off in the shadows and the side. Mm-hmm. And so they're supposed to come to this banquet where he's gonna announce Mickey's son, you will be the heir of this throne one day because we have no rightful heirs and they don't show up. That's because they're being killed off screen somewhere. And very Macbeth and I wonder if this is Kurosawa trying to lean more into a more literal translation. That's why we don't see these scenes is because they do happen off screen in the play. Yeah. But when he sees his ghost there and he's just like the ramifications of what he knows is taking place and how he acts is just, I love it. It's just him. uh, And he's just moving back and forth and backs himself into a corner. And he looks like the witch.
0: Yeah, he does.
1: It's a good moment. And it's just how far deep have these, these people gone. And then what's the next thing we get is, the child was stillborn, mm, of course, and they but they don't and they don't show that either. I mean, the the handmaid and the midwife stops him from going into the room. Right, you can't go see what's taking place in there. Yeah, to the point where I'm like, I don't know how it'd probably be really difficult to hide the pregnancy. But did she concoct that or maybe make that up just to drive him to keep
0: pushing forward on this plan? Well, that's what I thought too. Yeah, was is this just another machination in that wicked mind of hers to continually bait no, and good word. Yeah. Her husband into this terrible, terrible, terrible plot. She's devised. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's debatable.
1: I want to talk about this too, because I, I know you have, you've written about s- some of this too. Uh, so, uh, this is a combined style. So this is this is different than um than like a kabuki style. This is more this is the no style of drama in Japan. So no uses a lot more like makeup, masks, costumes, props. It's a dance-based performance, but when they're in these rooms here with uh the dinner and the way they the movement and the way things play out, it it does feel like kind of an interpretive dance or like a play-like structure. So that's like the no style. So it, they 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 take that from, of course, this would close on me. Uh, this is uh, from Buddhist doctrine of uh, impermanence or change. Hmm. So there's a lot of change going on here, at least uh, from a hierarchy standpoint. How do you go from just a simple noble warrior to assuming this fortress to assuming th- th- uh, fiefdom of this entire uh, kingdom? I think that's, an interesting topic to, to talk about. Mm. What do you think? What do you think of that? That just the, in, the, the style that it's influenced from just, just means change and just the
0: pieces around them are just effortlessly changing. I think for the viewer, that's probably what everybody missed. Mm-hmm. You know, these little catches that you have with the centipede on the back as the harbinger of death. And I don't know when this movie hit some popularity stateside, but I think this is 1957, right? 57, yeah. So I'm sure it wasn't then. I don't think the I American movie-going public was rushing to see. I don't some, know. Kurosawa in 57. I don't know how we got foreign films back then. I don't. Yeah, that's a good question. Like
1: I don't know if they were like you got a couple every few months. Like I don't know how they got stateside. Like now it's, it's yeah, it's more part of the them, the release schedule. But it could have been 20 years later this film got to the states. You know what I mean? Unless
0: the production company from the United States saw it and brought it back. I I don't when that happened though, they would like redo it like they did Godzilla. Godzilla, right? right. So I I don't know.
1: I don't know how people saw this here. That progression though. How important then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh that documentary you had me watch, the Z channel. Yeah. That's probably how these people saw this film. Probably. Yeah. And the Criterion Collection when that started around eighty early nineties. Yeah. That's probably when people started seeing these types of films. That's such a good documentary, by the way, for people. The the Z Channel, I think IFC made that documentary. Phenomenal.
0: Yeah, everybody should check that out. It's a great look into alternative film opportunities. Broadcasting, yeah. Yeah, so cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't even remember what the question was, but I think Uh, we've talked around it. (laughs) Yeah, we got to it. Okay. Keep going, yeah, sorry.
1: I want to ask you this uh, just because in screenwriting, when we write... yeah. Three-act structure, beginning, middle, midpoint act two, crisis conflict resolution, fade to black, right? Mm -hmm. Shakespeare employed a five-act story structure, which in a way is similar. What do you you think of that and kind of how it plays out? Because in a way, it's just kind of condensing those parts because act three is kind of the midpoint of the section. But do you think that complicates it and... It kind of is the
0: same structure, just with different names, right? If you take the inciting incident, which is where typical act one for Shakespeare breaks mm-hmm. to get into two, then it makes sense. Um You know, we lament when we sit down and write over the second act and getting through the second act and the, the hard, slag of the, the second part, act. Yeah. Because it's difficult to do is to get to some progression of your protagonist having some success at the midpoint and then in the next 15, 20 pages, blow it all up yeah and then fix what you've already worked to try to make right once, yeah. but now things are even worse, and find a new way to redo it again. Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> it works really well. It's handled really well. This movie does, for all of you know, the samurai lore that goes with it, it does have a stage play feel to it, insofar as outside of the scenes in the forest where they're talking to the witch. Most of it does take place on what could be a backdrop of a stage setting, a fortress and inside the fortress. Now there's plenty of exterior shots. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of that. But most of the dialogue that occurs in this film or the progression of character motivations happens inside the walls of fortress, um, spider web spider, Ford, spider Web's castle the one they built right yeah um could you imagine sitting down and trying to really craft a five-act structure screenplay today
1: i don't know maybe i mean i only say this just because like well, in college I, I made this little horror film and I, I i had act breaks i did act one act two act three act four and five inspired by shakespeare just to see what that would look like and you know, it kind of did away with a little bit of the Act 2 slag. I mean, it, it was a little bit more seamless, and the Act 4 then was the money-making act, and then it allowed Act 5 to just be the wrap-up portion. Wrap it up. Yeah. So maybe it made it a little bit easier to just at least construct editing-wise. Hmm. Writing was, I don't know, it was, it's probably, yeah, really difficult. But when you got five guys to just pitch ideas off of, maybe it's a little bit easier
0: it's funny i saw two films yesterday okay so we saw this i watched this yesterday morning and then we went to go see the fantastic beast three last night mm. now i'm not the best one to talk about that because i mostly didn't pay attention on the first one and i didn't even bother <laughs> to see the second fantastic no, that second one's not good okay but i did find myself being really frustrated last night watching fantastic beast three not that it's poorly made I, again i'm not going to weigh in on that because that's I, i'm a poor yeah evaluator there but I could just see where it was going. Like, this is going to fall apart, and I know where this is headed. Mm-hmm. So can we just hurry up and get there? And then what it got to at the end, What it, it felt like were three different finally getting out of the movie endings. Uh. Like, after we've come to, and I'm not going to tell you because you'll see it. Yeah. Once we get to the final moment in, in Grindelwald, which obviously he's going to be defeated after he's finally defeated, the movie has a natural ending that should just be the ending. And then it goes into this kind of two Hockneyed pigeonholed in character bits that I think maybe in a five act structure would have played either much better or much worse, but didn't seem to fit in that at all. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is com- when I compared the two, yeah. I think the structure, the story structure and Throne of Blood was actually better than something that's much newer. That's Fantastic Beast 3. The, was it Crimes of Grindelwald? That's, Se- no, th- 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 this one with The Secrets of Dumbledore. <laughs> Whatever the hell it is, yeah. Okay, sorry. I get them all confused. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Um, again, and I'm not even... I'm not bagging the movie. Like, it's, it, it was what it was. Yeah. And I'm not going to... I shouldn't speak on that because that'd be like someone saying they watched Age of Ultron and feeling like they can talk on the Marvel franchise. Sure. <laughs> it's just not... It's not... But, but but something with this story, I mean, there's
1: you know how it's gonna go, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. If, even if he didn't know it was based on Shakespeare, like all this ramification for all this evil doing, uh-huh. you know, someone's gonna pay the piper sure. at the end of the day, and boy is he. But we have this scene: the baby's stillborn, so he goes back to the forest. This was the moment you talked about Oof. where she, yeah, she's running back and cackling,
0: <laughs>
1: almost mocking, right? Yeah, and saying tell me about this prophecy. Like, is this really coming true? Like everything you said, this is happening. And what does she tell him that like, and it's similar to Macbeth, uh, too, where you'll be okay until, uh, the forest like, begins to move, begins to move and, and, and takes you over. It's like, Oh, that's, I'm not worried about that. Cause that's impossible. <laughs> Same prophecy in Macbeth, right? Yep. Until Burnham wood moves on Dunsany and you're good. Yep. So he's like, I'm good. And he goes back and tells his troops, we're good. I talked to the witch. Have like, y'all
0: ever seen a forest
1: move? That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Uh, and then this scene too. And I thought this was, again, the madness of real Lady Macbeth, his wife. uh feverishly trying to wash her hands of the blood that's not there. And the basin doesn't even
0: have water in it. Yeah, that's the out, out, damned spot bit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Madness. 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 Complete
1: madness. The only thing we don't see from this version is her killing herself, uh, which in the Shakespeare tragedy, like, everyone's always, it's just a bloodbath at the end, right? Mm -hmm. It's, like, mass suicide and just, like, death everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Hamlet. Hamlet's just, like, insanity it's just like dead king queen you drink the poison larity's is killing hamlet hamlet's killing him yeah it's just a mess and i kind of like that that's the part of, of shakespeare i really do like i, I like the carnage the, oh man i love the carnage and uh we'll talk a little bit about this in the nightcap but my favorite shakespeare plays are actually the historical plays caesar the richard the thirds uh henry uh fourth uh king lear henry the fourth parts uh one and two henry the fifth that stuff's Awesome. It's Mm -hmm. so good. And taken a lot from historical things that have actually happened. uh, This stuff's good, too. I think i like less the comedic plays like uh Ugh. much ado about nothing midsummer night's oh, hell fuck no, uh, fuck no is Right, hard 12th <laughs> uh, uh, night like i don't like a lot of that stuff like i like the the tragedies and the i histories. like yeah well like
0: talk we talk so glowingly about the ending of seven so i guess that fits right i'm <laughs> i'm with you like i'm right with you i have hard pass on those comedies I, yeah yeah but uh here
1: okay so we've naysayed the prophecy now we're good my wife's gone completely crazy but then they come and tell him sir the forest is moving and he goes and looks and this is a cool visual right yeah. don't you want that to be in color it would look good in color yeah uh, it, you're right it doesn't change the movie but like just like from a tonal perspective the green moving amongst the fog would look great yeah. um uh, but it's it, it's good here too. But so spectral, like as like it's almost the the trees are almost floating across the across the surface here. And I I kind of wondered. I forgot a little bit about the Macbeth play and how it wrapped up. I was like, oh my god, is the forest really moving? Because uh, Mickey's son and another army have amassed, and now they're coming to take the throne, right? Because you killed my dad. And this is a great moment here, too. I think I might like this a little bit better than how it plays out in the play, which is the hubris and the ambition has now fully caught up with Washuzu and his people. Um, And they just turn on him, right? Yeah. And, Matt, how many arrows do they shoot at this guy? Hundreds. (laughs) Hundreds of arrows. Real arrows were used. Real arrows were shot in this sequence. So... The fright uh, on Mafuni's face, as scared as he looks, and as they're going in, he's trying to break them all, and some of them are going into his body. This is wild. This is, this is something
0: else. What did you think of this? He's like a rat trapped in a cage, isn't he? Mm-hmm. It's just poisoning, poisoning, poisoning. Every time he turns around, there's 60 more arrows. that. Foom, 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 foom. And what I love about it, too, is if you were to think about how death by arrow would occur, mm-hmm. unless it's a headshot or a vital organ... Yeah, slow death. Just slow, piercing, painful, and depending on how it hits you, would also relegate to what limbs you can still move, and if you can take it out. And it's well, it arrow, should look exactly like that. Arrows
1: are rough because when they pierce you, I mean, if you pull it out, I mean, you're essentially those barbs are so embedded in you, right? That you're tearing you, everything out on the way. Yeah, you're destroying everything coming out. So yeah, that's yeah, like. It's not good, and the fledgling—you're it, it, pulling that into your body too. That's yeah. that's gross. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is crazy, crucifixion-like to to an extent. But oh,
0: well said. Yeah,
1: there was that moment earlier in the film where they were talking about the the, the workers at his uh, fortress castle were talking about those stains of blood yeah. on the walls yeah. and kind of in these corners where he pigeonholes himself into. Mm-hmm. He's kind of—it's kind of the same thing too. Do you think De Palma was a little bit influenced by this with uh Piper Laurie and Carrie? Oh yeah, all those sharp implements mm-hmm. again, Christ-like as well, that mm-hmm. cr- kind of crucifixion. Yeah, but how did they do? I don't. Know, I had to watch. I watched it three times. It happened so fast, and I wonder if maybe it happened and they shot it in reverse. But the arrow through his neck. Yep. So cool. It's yeah. like it just Kurosawa's you know ability to I'm shooting it in camera. It's going to look real and. Whatever trickery he used looks good. Mm -hmm. So he dies. He fumbles the body. They take the body down amongst the fog and the fallen king, right? I mean, that's Shakespeare in a nutshell is this guy's just going to, he's going to lose it eventually. Mm -hmm. He'll get it. He'll go mad. He'll kill a lot of people. He's going to be totally uh, irredeemable. And then the kingdom's all the better for it, right? Yep. I'm sure Mickey's son's going to be a very virtuous ruler after this. Yeah, but what, what was revealed to me, and I, the part I had forgotten was that they cut the trees, used them as camouflage, and then used it to move through the forest. So that reveal when they're walking with the the trees and the branches, I thought was so cool. So, I, yeah. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Melancholy ending, but when you're adapting a
0: Shakespeare tragedy,
1: how can you not have that type of ending?
0: Yeah, no, I like that he doesn't have to put a bow on it. It just lets it be a fairly literal translation of the Macbeth story. Mm-hmm. There's some differences. Obviously it's feudal Japan versus Scotland. But uh yeah, I was again like I said for the first time through I was really surprised at how closely he adhered to the true Macbeth story. Like when we say it's adapted from, I always sort of say, well, maybe that's inspired by. No, this is quite frankly yeah, pretty close. Pretty close. It's Macbeth, just samurai Macbeth. Uh, just a couple things here,
1: uh, Kurosawa, so as fun as this writing bullpen sounds, his favorite aspect was editing. So he edited all his own films and he specifically said, I I shoot enough in order to have material to edit and often said it was the most creatively interesting part of the process. I, I thought about that for a little bit about how important that part is. You can probably find this somewhere, but there's early glimpses of Star Wars uh, A New Hope, the first one, and its initial rough edit, and it looks horrible. It looks like the worst thing that's ever been made. And then so Lucas got two new editors to come in and put the film together in an entirely different way, and it's the film we saw. Mm. So... You can write the hell out of something, you can shoot the hell and act the hell out of everything, but if you can't go and piece it together in a cohesive, linear fashion, it'd fall apart at that stage, right? I mean, right. that's why the film to me is just like, it's it's so different than reading a book or listening to a record, because of just how much you can go back and edit that. I mean, film has so many moving
0: pieces. Well, depending on weather and availability of, of cast, movies are not shot from page one to page 120. Oh, no, yeah. Now, Casablanca's different, but... For the most part, it's like we're gonna start on page sixty-seven and take care of all these outdoor scenes, and then we're gonna jump back and hit page thirteen. So if your editor doesn't know that story back and forth, yeah, and occasionally, whether it's by mistake or divine intervention, mm-hmm. sometimes things do get sequenced a little bit differently than they appeared in the pages of the script sure. for the better. Yeah. But yeah, if you've ever heard that expression, the your editor makes your movie. Mm-hmm. Damn right.
1: So many things. Yeah, so many
0: things make cuz the script makes your movie, the the yeah. score makes
1: your movie. All of those things can wreck it. All of them can wreck it and all of them bring it together. So that's why I love movies so much. To that <laughs> such a beautiful <laughs> thing. So, so loving movies. yeah. Uh and to this and you know, we talk I'm, I'm, maybe we've talked about the auteur theory with just mm-hmm. directors.
0: Yeah, Shyamalan especially.
1: Uh but Kurosawa, I mean he used uh they call it the Kurosawa Gumi. It was the Kurosawa group uh same composer, cinematographer, art department, production crew, and stable of actors from, like, 48 to, like, 65. Like, all these, like, same people. So, everything's going to have this feel, right? I mean, when you see a, a Kurosawa film, whether it's this or High and Low or uh, Rashomon or Yojimbo, it, it just feel You know you're watching one of his movies, much like you know you're watching a Hitchcock. You know you're watching a Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And I like that. You know, the identity stamp on on this guy. Like, you just... You get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's that Toho logo at the beginning too. Toho is Godzilla and Kurosawa. It's those two guys. I just I see it and I know, slam
0: dunk. I know what I'm getting. Yeah, yes, I'm do. getting a good time. Uh, Matt, what was your favorite tasting note of Throne of Blood? Uh, the first appearance of the witch in the forest. I thought that was handled really well. I was dying to see what a samurai witch was going to look like, mm-hmm. and I think he delivered. With oh, it's probably
1: what it would look like. Yeah, look great.
0: I think it's the that banquet freakout by
1: Mafuni uh, with uh, Mickey's ghostly apparition showing up just a great acting. And I just, the coziness of John Ford last week. I mean, I want to be there with those steaks and that apple pie and Andy divine asking for 50 billion steaks, mm-hmm. but this is cozy to me too. I mean, whatever they're eating here in this very quaint, quiet place. Like I dig that vibe too. So yeah. uh, I really liked that. But Good. what's your oh my God!
0: moment of throne of blood. Well, the arrow through the neck, I didn't see coming. Was. I didn't watch it 3 times, but I thought he would eventually just fall through I mass only, arrows in the torso. Nope, they'd finish him off right through the neck. I only watched it 3 times cuz I was trying to I was trying to find the trick. Mm. I was trying to find
1: how the uh, how did they do that? And I just I still don't have an answer. Yeah. <laughs> um God, I might have to go with her weeping in the empty basin of water. It was just something all the all the handmaidens just left her there to cry in this dark corner and mm. you knew she was done. Yeah. I, we almost don't need to see her death because like, there's no coming back from that.
0: Yeah. Uh, who's the master distiller on Throne of Blood? I'm going to give it to Kurosawa. Yeah. I, I just think the depiction, if I'm going to hold to my rant last week on the importance of the West as character, then I feel like a fraud if I don't celebrate the East as character in this version of the Western. Mm-hmm. And that's the landscape and, and the lush environment playing a huge role in it. And if you think that's crazy, then... Are you sure? Because it literally is the prophecy when the, when Burnham wood moves on Dunsany when they dress up in the forest and attack the castle, it's literally the story. Yeah. Handled really well. I just wish it was in color. Yeah. But I said, not a deal breaker, not a deal breaker.
1: Yeah. I got to give it to him too. And I think I kind of came to this realization when I, I don't think I've watched a Kurosawa film, at least maybe four or five years. I really like this guy. I really like a lot of his films. Yeah. Look, look at my phone case here. Yeah, uh, it's Seven Samurai. For those that can't see this visual description on an auditory podcast, yeah, we haven't but,
0: fired up the YouTube piece on this. Yeah,
1: but it's uh, yeah, he's he, he's he's a phenomenal filmmaker, and uh, we'll talk a little bit later here coming up. But these samurai feudal Japan films, they're great. Uh, but he's made a lot of really other good movies too. So mm-hmm. he's just in total control of this story. If the, his goal was to adapt Macbeth, my way success. Uh, so well to, said. Yeah. So, so to that, our ratings, we have rock gut. That's the worst of the worst. That was Morbius for me a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, uh, we have more uh, Rock gut, Well call single barrel and top shelf. Um, before you say that though, I've, thought of something in between that because sometimes like we'll talk about a film and we'll be like, should we cover that on the podcast? And sometimes we're we'll like, you're like, are we really going to talk about that movie or something? Mm-hmm. Next time that comes up, I'm going to say we may as well because we talked about Morbius. So <laughs> fair enough. Right? Yeah. Uh, how are you going to rate and grade throwing a blood map?
0: I'm going to go single barrel plus. Uh, it's not my favorite of his films. Yeah. I would watch it again. Mm-hmm. And I thought the characters were interesting and it also champions a story that I I particularly love. Mm-hmm. So all of those things together make for a pretty damn good movie. This is Single Barrel Plus is a pretty damn good movie. It's nice. not top shelf, yeah. but it's a really good film.
1: Uh, is it your favorite? Uh I didn't ask you. Is it your Shakespeare play? is Macbeth your favorite, or do you have a different favorite or?
0: Um I have three and it just depends. When you ask me, it's this, it's Othello and it's Hamlet. I love those three. So I think Hamlet's my favorite, but it's just, uh,
1: this one's pretty good too. Yeah. But I, like I said, I really like those historical plays. I'm going to go top shelf on this one. Two, two weeks in a row. Had it not been for Morbius, man, it'd be like five top shelves in a row. And it's just good films as of late. Uh, we may need to
0: do a rock gut cast just to reset your balance you out a little bit again, my friend. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we might get there naturally anyway. Huh? We'll
1: get there through the
0: natural state of <laughs> the schedule of releases.
1: Yeah. But no, yeah, this is just, uh, this is a filmmaking prowess on display. I mean, we don't get a lot of this now. I mean, Nolan, Fincher when he's not making Mank. Uh, mm-hmm. Some directors that are able to just be in total. villain away. Oh, yeah, him for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scorsese and Spielberg, but they're even there kind of at the end of their ropes it's rare and just see just how in control you are watching one of his films and it's i think it's like my 5th or 6th favorite kurosawa like samurai akiru high and low ran and uh rashomon uh i think are better movies yeah the guy's got some masterpieces not dreams his, no not dreams plan. not not dreams um um and Jimbo's pretty good but that's more of like a single barrel proper film mm mm-hmm. And hidden fortress as well, which, ladies and gentlemen, hidden fortress is Star Wars. Star Wars. It's the same story. It's frightening. Yeah. (laughs) But those five, and High and Low and Akira, are the ones not set in feudal Japan. Those are my favorites. Akira will make you quit your job right now Mm -hmm. and live life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, top shelf. Yeah, this is he's one of the best, and I'm glad we finally got to talk about it on the podcast. And there might be an avenue here to bring him up a couple more times with some of those films. Yeah, uh, with thematically whatever we're talking about, Ran would be great. Um, Akira would be good If we did like Kind of like the
0: Main character dying Of terminal disease cask or something We could do There's a lot of ways We could work in High and low too Oh god High and lows, Awesome
1: Has a point in the film Where you think It's gonna go one way It goes another way And then it's Man it's Mifuni's performance That just brings it All together Yep that's that's a bit noari procedural investigation. Mm-hmm. That could kind of fit in if we did the seven silence of the lambs cast again. That one could fit in. It's not a serial killer, but it's a kidnapping case. Yeah. Kidnapping films, that's that's a genre. Misery. Ooh. Yeah, we could find another one. Excellent. Two-year rating. Two-year rating. Excellent. Let's wrap this thing up with a nightcap. <laughs> So those are the arrows, ladies and gentlemen, of going into Washuzu. Uh it's like two and a half, maybe three minutes of him dodging arrows. Like I've never seen it's been a while since I've seen a, a character just like thoroughly pummeled to death. Pretty brutal, right?
0: Pretty brutal, right? Uh go ahead and hit us with the nightcap. So I got to thinking about the vast volume of story that Shakespeare has. And so we haven't done a top three for a while, mm-hmm. so I decided let's do top three Shakespeare adaptations to silver screen, and this can be as literal or as um, inspired by inspired as you would like to make it. Okay. So let's go three, three, two, two, one, one. You want me right. to go first? Uh, sure, yeah. Checking in at number three for me is Mr. Franco Zeffirelli, but not the one that everybody thinks it is not Romeo and Juliet. I'm going to go with Miss Elizabeth Taylor in what is not one of my favorite Shakespeare's and is a comedy, but she fucking kills it in Taming of the Shrew. Oh, yeah, that one's great. She was put in Hollywood to play that shrew. Yeah. Boy, she's a... That's Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole's in that too, right? Think about that, everybody. Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor in Taming of the Shrew, and I think they'd already been through at least one marriage at that point. (laughs) You can feel it.
1: Those two were so good on screen together.
0: And Elizabeth Taylor, yeah, there's there's moments in Elizabeth Taylor's filmography where she walks in the room and the fish stops swimming. Yeah. And she's fish stopped swimming in that film for me. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Oh, we watched
1: that uh I think in high school, ninth grade. Yeah. Uh we read Taming of the Shrew, which whatever. Yeah. Uh and then we watched that. And that was the first time I saw it. That was yeah, that was good. That was a good watch. Very shrew, right? Yeah. She's shrew. She's shrew. What do you got? <laughs> Number three for me, uh, I'm going to double down on your uh, Taming of the Shrew adaptations, and I am going to go with 10 Things I Hate About You. Mm -hmm. Uh, Made at a time when, you know, the teen film, late 90s, early 2000s, so you got like American Pie in there. It's like a genre into itself, right? Yeah. Uh, I just think it's a very clever adaptation of that story. Yep. Heath Ledger, right? Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, David Krumholtz. Uh, It's a great cast. It's funny. It's poignant. It's not so clever of itself where you can't have a good time. Um, I've seen it a handful of times. It's just, it's just, Just a good watch,
0: right? Yeah, it's an enjoyable movie. And I I
1: think I like the Shakespeare cleverness where it's not so on the nose, where you could watch 10 Things I Hate About You and never be told it was Taming of the Shrew, and you would never know. Yeah. It's so covert in its
0: adaptation. Good choice. Yeah. Number two for me, Mr. Orson Welles Mm. in Macbeth. This is actually Macbeth, Macbeth. I thought about doing something that was a little obscure, kind of like maybe 10 Things I Hate About You. But- um, I decided some of them chalk holds because chalk should move in advance. I've never seen that one. Oh, man.
1: Well, he had another one in his. Hope I'm not stealing your thunder here, You're but not. another one I hadn't seen called Chimes of Midnight, which is an adaptation of Henry IV, one and two, and Henry V. Uh, and those are my two, that's my favorite Shakespeare play is Henry the Ford's part one and two. I got to see this Chimes of Midnight. Orson Welles, like literally as big as a house, <laughs> making a movie that I've never heard of before.
0: Maybe you just built a cask with yeah. maybe these, that, that Macbeth, ver, his Macbeth version is creepy as all hell. Okay. It's good. So yeah, there's my number two. What's your number two?
1: I'm kind of following suit too with a literal adaptation of one of his Got to go with Sir Lawrence Olivier, mm. uh, Mr. Shakespeare himself. Who's more Shakespeare, man? Is it Kenneth Branagh or is Lawrence Olivier? Lawrence Olivier, <laughs> sure, but not by a lot. Not by a lot. I just Branagh made like seven Shakespeare films, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Richard the Third is one of my other favorite historical plays. My horse, my horse, my kingdom for a horse. And as that one start out, now in the winter of our discontent, made glorious summer by our something of York. <laughs> It's pretty good. He's yeah, he's amazing in it. And the Richard the 3rd is like, gosh, like he's almost like Quasimodo. He's just like mm-hmm. he's got a hunch, he's disgusting and everyone hates him, but he's just like, man, I'm murdering everyone to maintain my kingdom. Yeah. Uh that one's in color. Uh, and it's part of like the Laurence Olivier Shakespeare package of he made a few, right? Mm-hmm.
0: That one's really great. If you haven't seen that one, check out Richard the 3rd. It's a good watch. Good choice. Mm-hmm. Number 1 for me is a bit more contemporary but it's a film that I think we both like and have in our top three, Mr. Mel Gibson in Hamlet. It's a good adaptation. Really good adaptation. Yeah, That's my favorite Shakespeare depiction on film. Uh, I owned a couple DVDs of that, burned them both up. I love that movie. I won't miss it if it comes on. Glenn
1: Close, it. right? Yep.
0: Fantastic. Who's Ophelia in that one? Is that a... Um, Julia Armand? Is that right? No, um... It's not Julia Margulies, is it? Yeah. Is
1: it? Maybe. Let me look it up. Yeah. Yeah, you no, know, you're right. Great adaptation. You no, know, I love Hamlet. I just I love the way it plays out. I just love how tragic it is. I love how maddening Hamlet is. Um and just the fifth act bloodbath is just so good. Not only is the bloodbath there, but Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, that's right. That's who I meant instead of Julia instead of Julia I was yeah. get those confused. Yeah. That's yeah, Bellatrix. That's, that sounds about right. But Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, they're getting hanged for doing nothing. (laughs) I mean, it's just chaos Mm -hmm. at the end of that, and I love it. I am also going with a Hamlet interpretation, but it's also my favorite uh, Disney animated film, and it's The Lion King, which is kind of its own version on Hamlet, Mm -hmm. whether it's uh, Scar and Mufasa and uh, Simba's young, young Hamlet there. You have all the characters just as animals. But man that's just Disney just full circle for me. It's just it's Hans Zimmer, it's Elton John, it's great voice cast. Jeremy Irons is amazing. Yeah. Um uh, and as a kid, pff, kids don't know Shakespeare, but then later you're like, "Yeah, you know what? That's Hamlet." <laughs> so, um I got to go with yeah. My king on my Mount Rushmore of animated films, The Lion King. Couple questions for you. Do you have
0: an honorable mention?
1: Not honorable mention, maybe maybe shocking discovery. I also found out that Henry the Fourth's part one and two is a semi-adaptation in my own private Idaho, Gus Van Sant. Never even knew that. So wait, say that again. Uh, my own private Idaho, Keanu Reeves, River yeah, Phoenix, yeah. is partly uh written inspired by Henry the Fourth's part one, two, and Henry the Fifth. Really? Yeah.
0: So I thought that was pretty cool because
1: I kind of like that movie too.
0: Okay. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I actually do like my own private Idaho. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Um, I have two honorable mentions. Okay. One, but I didn't do it, would be Ran, which is King Lear. Yeah, good. But we just did a whole hour and a half, so no. And the other one, kind of sleepy, and a lot of people hate it, but I don't. I think O, Mackay, Pfeiffer and Julia Stiles. Hart, Josh Hartnett. And Josh Hartnett. Yeah. I think that's a really solid version of Othello. Othello. Now, a lot of that is just personal preference, because those are pretty much the ones that I I, I gravitate to. I do have, okay, so here's the question. Do you like the most, what's it, the Romeo and Juliet version with, um, is it Baz Luhrmann? Yeah, Leo and Claire Danes. Yeah, do you like that one? Some of it. I kind of do. Yeah, It's a really controversial one, and a lot of people poo-pooed that, but I don't think that movie sucks at all. The kind of thing that like really trips people up is like it's Shakespeare language
1: with like this crazy modern twist on it. Yeah. Um, I kind of like that it's fun yeah It's I, I think I just I, I like the visual flair of it all and I'm not a
0: big Baz Luhrmann guy like I'm sort of worried about this Tom Hanks um, oh, Elvis, Elvis vehicle <laughs> that we're going to see here but <laughs> yeah yeah that one's not bad Uh, well, you mentioned
1: Franco Zeffirelli's uh, ju- uh, Romeo, Romeo and, Juliet. and Juliet that's like right like high school required viewing sure <laughs> yeah. except the teacher has to go sh- uh, cover up the boobs yeah right <laughs> right uh, oh, wow. This is a lot of fun talking about Shakespeare, but mainly Akira Kurosawa and this samurai film. I'm glad this kind of, we were able to kind of mold it into this, the samurai being the counterpart to the cowboy, right?
0: Well, yeah, it's
1: perfect. Well, talking about cowboys, let's keep this train churning along. Next step, we are jumping to the late 60s. Uh, it's Matt and I's favorite era of filmmaking. Now, what if we take the cowboy out of the Old West and we put him into. A modernish New York City. Mm-hmm. What does that
0: look like? And as long as we can use cowboy in the title, I think we'll be, be all right. Yeah,
1: this is going to be a great episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, John Schlesinger, right? Yes. Uh, and Dustin Hoffman and Mr. John Boy. We're going to do Midnight Cowboy.
0: Oh my God!
1: The only X-rated Best Picture winner. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Nilsson songs. Oh man, there's something so buddy. It's like a buddy film, but it's. It's like a tragic buddy film, too, and it's just, it's raw, it's gritty, it's inappropriate, but its it's got its moments, right? It's like, this is, the first time I saw this, I was like, it was one of those ones where I was like, wow, like, and
0: it's, it's going to be a great discussion. Can't wait. And hopefully you can bring some nuggets from that book that I gave you. Yes. Right? Yep. Alrighty. Yep. Cool. Jesse gave me the Making of Midnight Cowboy, and I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm almost done. Nice. So we have a lot of fun insights. So I'll, I'll
1: leave all the, the, the behind the scenes notes to you next week and I'll, I'll just show up. Sounds good. (laughs) Excellent. So to you, to you, cheers, cheers. I got to get going. I got to go, uh, polish my samurai blade. I'm going to go, uh, chop up some vegetables because I'm telling you, I just got like this, like cooking thing going on right now and vegetables with some steaks. We'll bring the Suntory.
0: That sounds pretty good, right? Better than just killing off everybody. (laughs) I love that. No arrows. I'm just going to pull up a chair and hang with you the rest of the day.
1: All right. Sounds good. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody.
0: We'll see you in the dark.
1: Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Throne of Blood is property of Toho and Toho Studios, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers!